the podcast full of Formula 1 fanatic with me Chris Moss and Jake Peach thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast don't forget if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode also don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram just search around the outside podcast on Facebook and as always we're at ATO podcast underscore on Instagram so in this episode we're going to be taking a look at what has gone on in the opening stages of the 2022 season the winners the losers the shocks and the absolute disasters now for us this is a very special special episode because this is the first time we've actually recorded in the same room absolutely it's very nice and it's kind of weird we started this in the lockdown over zoom i would see you very rarely and this was our way of like meeting meeting every week yeah and like a lot of things throughout that time it's uh using the passion to kind of like you know come together and and talk about things we love and here we are in 2022 and uh it's it's kind of still going and we're trying to keep it going and uh, you've had covid i've been moving flat it's all been going on but we're finally here after five weeks into the season now and we're going to wrap up the first four races and i think it's fair to say chris it's been very different to what many people expected absolutely i mean we've got a whole new set of cars we've got a whole new you know race director we've got basically a brand new formula um, but without further ado, let's start from the very beginning and let's jet off to the Middle East and go to Bahrain. Yeah, let's get into this episode of Round the Outside. Okay, so first race of the season, we've had testing at the same circuit as well in Bahrain and then we have the first race there as well and lots of people have their eyes on Mercedes and their zero pod and people are thinking that there's some major sandbagging going on turns out there wasn't really any sandbagging going on it was a bit of disastrous time for Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull look like the ones who are going to be the challengers this season right from Bahrain and what did you make of all of that Chris as, as we were seeing that unfold and we were watching the first practice sessions and then it got to qualifying and it got to the race and it all started, started to become a bit more clear right? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would assume that Mercedes would just take the sandbags out of the car, but instead I think they filled them up a little bit heavier. Um, it was something very different. I think it shocked a lot of people. I mean, to see the, there's a prancing horse back at the front of the grid is uh, something very special. Mm. And I think well overdue, I mean, 2019 was the last time they really had a competitive car. So, you know, two seasons had gone small amount of podiums in their time but you know they they look like they turned up with the best package it seems as we've said a lot about on this podcast for ferrari that they for they kind of forgoed the last two years or ever since the you know the engine clarification that we've all talked about loads uh, in the world of f1 and just focused on this new formula they could see it coming and they were putting all of their uh, their faith and eggs in one basket towards 2022 and they really believed in this formula and when we were chatting to ryan at the start of the season for previous episodes he's probably rubbing his hands together thinking oh we're onto something here don't want to let anything away and uh, it seems that charles leclerc is just well in the in the first race in Bahrain uh, really ran away with it but the top speed of coming on to Red Bull the top speed of a Red Bull which is more famously in the past had loads more downforce than top speed and been known for that uh, is closing speed on the straights it's ridiculous even to the latest race in Imola yeah I mean we were seeing Max coming from about five, six, if not eight car lengths behind Charles Leclerc to then come alongside, overtake him, only to be re-overtaken on the next DRS straight. It was, uh, yeah, sort of Danny Ricardo-esque kind of moves out of nowhere into the corner. It was uh, great racing, uh, absolute thrilling race for, for what was the start of the season. Uh, and I think we definitely saw the two title protagonists mm. um definitely facing each other up and say for for the first time in many seasons not Lewis Hamilton no uh, we will come on to that in the rest of this episode don't worry about that Uh, as we kind of already started to Um, but I mean before we move on completely from Ferrari a 1-2 for Ferrari their first time since Singapore 2019 
mad absolutely crazy uh, and that was after Charles Leclerc had won the Italian Grand Prix and at Spa mm. as well in 2019 and it was also Sebastian Vettel's last victory in Formula 1 that's a long time ago for what was you know a full-time champion in great form quite sad to think that isn't it if you think it, I mean me and you grew up uh probably we were watching F1 most religiously at the stage where Rebel had that string of four titles with Vettel it just seemed unstoppable him and that car uh, for those four years there was just no stopping him and of course you could say the same about Mercedes with the hybrid era but um, you know to go through all that he enjoyed some wins at Ferrari now Aston Martin to be that long ago it's crazy I mean you had Vettel last year in, in Baku with the second place and uh, also in Hungary as well uh, which then got removed and deleted it's all a bit confusing um but no it's nice to see ferrari back up there and vettel's probably wishing now i've seen a few memes online where he's been like looking at the ferrari cars like can i come back and he's aston martin pr person's like nope you're driving this thing um so there's probably a bit of i don't know remorse there but you know it's the way the f1 world works some drivers sadly don't make the best decisions alonso ricardo vettel could be one of them you never know um, sadly didn't work out for him at Ferrari so while Ferrari definitely got it right a team that arguably should have got it right until the last few laps of the Grand Prix with Red Bull a double DNF for both cars in the race Max first of all after a safety car restart just having absolutely no power at all getting passed by the Mercedes the the other Red Bull of uh, Sergio and yeah just that's a disappointment for what was a guaranteed second place. For then the last lap of the race, Perez, his engine seized at the very first corner for both Mercedes to overtake and get a 3-4 finish. For for a team like Red Bull, who have not had a double DNF since Austria 2020, yeah. that was the worst possible start to the 2022 season they could have asked for. Yeah, I'm really gutting when I was saying before about their you know their straight line speed because um, it seems that Ferrari power unit, not just the design of the car with those gorgeous side pods, but also the power units come on leaps and bounds and is seeming like it's the leading power unit now because as we'll say about Haas in the last few races, they've been right up there with other teams and, and power yeah, units. As of, as of Alfa Romeo. Yeah, absolutely. So all the Ferrari teams that were kind of nowhere in the last couple of years or few years, um, miraculously kind of there now, uh, all thanks to the power unit. I'm sure a little bit of the design, the designers will take some credit, but uh, yeah, it was a bit gutting to see that that happening. But for for Perez and, and Max, it's uh, I guess you can't have it all their their own way uh, going into this new season and uh, especially the first race in Bahrain wasn't to be sadly no and obviously then I was talking about Mercedes they got a, a very unlikely podium they, they finished 3-4 in the end they were second in the constructors one point over um, and, and uh, over a minute at one point behind Charles Leclerc yeah Toto describes their stint on the hard tyres as hand in the toilet um, mm. kind of at words, seeing as that stint didn't work at all, and the safety car really did save their race. Well, the thing, the thing about this at this point, Chris, was that everyone obviously had no experience of these new eighteen-inch uh, Pirellis, which are the new size tires for these cars this year in this new formula, and no one knew how they were going to react. Of course, uh, Bahrain's quite an abrasive surface anyway quite an abrasive track um, but then to have the hard tyre just didn't want to work in the window or the, the way the Mercedes car was set up at least um, and then because of all the porpoising issues which we know in the last few races having to run that car quite high off the ground so it's affecting their downforce but also affecting how the tyre reacts with the tarmac and and going through the corners uh, and and obviously Lewis very well even George Russell as well and the Williams in the you know, last couple of years all both very good at looking after their tyre however it didn't really yeah as you say didn't work bit of a surprise though third and fourth finish as we'll come on to in the next races we're going to talk about bit of an anomaly with, with what's going on but Red Bull and Ferrari so far up the far up the field at Max anyway when he was in the race it was kind of a bit of a well a lucky charm for Bahrain anyway and it wasn't going to last <laughs> no but talking about lucky charms after mm. not expecting to be in the paddock at all <laughs> not only is Kevin Magnussen back 
but Hasselback, the first point since 2020. Kevin Magnussen last scoring in Hungary 2020, but Haas, oh, a couple of races later, at the Eiffel Grand Prix of Roman Grosjean, a fifth place. I mean, I'm pretty sure Gunter Steiner would have been happy if any door smashed in at that point. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, and obviously, Kim, Kim Magnussen was, was lit pretty much going to be driving for uh, for Peugeot in the uh, in the World Endurance, in World Endurance Championship. Uh, and, and that was all going to change. And then he got the call from Haas saying, uh, can you come and fill the seat for Mazepin? Uh, sure. And then, I mean, I did feel for, for Kevin Magnussen when he left F1 because... He had that really sort of golden moment. If you think back to right at the beginning of the hybrid era and the McLarens, he put in a great race and we could see speed with a good car. He's a great driver. And it's just sad when drivers in that situation get caught in a back team uh, and, and don't get the chance to, you know, drive a uh, more of a you know competitive car, which the Hasses becoming. And I, I can't help but feel that, uh, which other people have said that the Hasses obviously had the most development time to work on the design. I'm sure there's some credit there to the designers, but also the power unit is probably helping a lot of that. Uh, but for Kevin to be up there and amongst it, absolutely be something that they're not... You know, not not bad, feeling bad about it at all, uh, and something that I'm sure that they want to carry on throughout the rest of the season into the next few races. For sure, and obviously they've got Mick Schumacher. It's his second season. It's going to be a season where he's going to be expecting to get some points, especially with the performance of the Haas. Yeah, got a career best eleventh again. Uh, so you got to feel that points are going to be coming his way very shortly. Now we come on to a team talking of Haas, which would be nowhere in the last few years few seasons uh, and, and it seems those teams that have been in that situation like we said these new rules could give these teams a chance to totally reset the field maybe not be title winning contenders but certainly mix up the midfield which has been so competitive in the last few years and, and seasons in F1 been so great to see those battles playing out McLaren would use it, you'd say sort of best of the rest for a lot of that uh, but then now we're seeing teams like Haas coming in and now Alfa Romeo who in that first race had a double points finish not a great start for Bottas but got right back to finish sixth alongside Joe Guanyu getting debut points uh, with 10th the fourth inning constructors after that first round in Bahrain and uh, you know uh, first Chinese driver on the grid show and he couldn't have wished for a better start really and then that's what you want to do in your debut race and show that you're going to turn up and uh, mean business I mean for him he's probably thinking oh that's one up on Mick Schumacher he's got a year on me he's got a point um, yeah it's, it's something to build on we saw Yuki Sonoda last year as well also getting points on debut in Bahrain and yeah it's it's probably a dream start I mean we've seen the likes of Lewis Hamilton getting debut points mm -hmm. Nico Rosberg uh, Sebastian Vettel at, at the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix in 2007 also yep. getting debut points so it's a good stead to be in to, to get some points very early on in your career and now P with a double points finish for the team P7, P9 a good outing for Ocon finishing ahead of Alonso even with that penalty that he had that coming together with, with Mick Schumacher on the opening lap a uh, bit unfortunate with the, the way it was bit of a racing incident in my opinion but someone's got to sometimes lay the blame in motorsport uh, but Alpine looking to keep that charge going like Aston Martin they both want to come back up towards the top of the grid um, both got cable drivers to do that Ocon's obviously been the Mercedes driver program for uh, a number of years thought he was going to go get a seat there didn't quite happen uh, sort of meandered his way around um, and is, is where he is at Alpine at the moment so it's all uh, all looking positive for Alpine and uh, you know with a safe pair of hands and Alonso of his experience hopefully looking to take that team forward some more uh, in the coming races uh, Alpha Tauri had a single driver finish though at Bahrain Chris with UK he likes this track doesn't he he was good in testing last year blew us all away in his debut and uh Bit of a rough season for him last year, sort of climatising, but he's looking to come back with a more measured and mature head this year. Yeah, it's the second time he's got points at Bahrain. Last year on his debut, I think he scored a P7. This year, only a P8, but a P8 nonetheless. That is for very valuable points to the AlphaTauri team. 
Unfortunately, his teammate didn't get to finish the race and he was the cause of the late safety car, which very much scuppered the Red Bull uh, mm. team. Uh, he had a DNF due to a fire at the back of the car. That was uh, what looked to be a third issue at the time for the Honda Red Bull power unit combo. But, you know, it's it's part of the things in racing. You can't predict when your engine's going to go bang. And unfortunately for Pierre Gasly, 40-odd uh, laps into the Grand Prix, his car went bang. Yeah, and it was a lot of people were thinking, "Oh, it's all it's all linked. They're all Red Bull powertrains." And completely next year, it will be completely Red Bull powertrains without any of the guidance or transition left from Honda, which had been using obviously in the previous seasons. And towards the end of that, when McLaren said goodbye to Honda, it was working out quite well in the relationship. Good reliability, good power, very competitive. Obviously, with the Mercedes last season, uh, and I think with the Rebels, there's been some fuel flow problems but they said for Gasly it was a hydraulic thing whether they were just telling us that to kind of mix it up a little bit uh, and keep people on their toes and guessing who knows uh, but yeah not great for AlphaTauri considering their let's be honest kind of amazing success in the last few seasons with being a sister team for, for Rebel sometimes outperforming Rebel in previous races yeah for sure and say looking at the straight line speed Red Bull were definitely one and two but Alpha Tauri were, were definitely up there I think they were probably even third and fourth on, mm. the, uh, on the straight line speed so they've got pure pace in that car um, but obviously a bit unfortunate for Pierre Gasly who you know absolutely shone in that Alpha Tauri last year Um unable to finish but Yuki you know he did what he needed to do he was there he picked up the points and you know this season looks like it could be at any point could be a point that could potentially get you a place up in the midfield yeah absolutely Uh, and then we think about Aston Martin McLaren Williams didn't have a great start all got nil point in the first race Uh, all at the back of the pack by quite some way Uh, McLaren a lot of people at this race particularly were really worried about yeah I mean talking about Neil Poyle the British team should be used to getting Neil Poyle because you know Eurovision and that's (laughs) how it all stands have some faith man Um, but yeah I mean the biggest thing for all three of them Mercedes power unit yeah I mean the Mercedes power unit where it has been probably the strongest one Mm. over the past seven years I mean arguably it's potentially the worst one to have now I mean, on on that point, when we look at Mercedes versus Red Bull Ferrari, slash Honda Alpine. versus Ferrari power units, do we think this has something to do with the fact that Mercedes probably didn't want to change too much their power unit because obviously it being great, been quite dominant and been working very well. A lot of other teams that have been coming at Mercedes for all those years have been obviously trying to tinker a lot more and probably coming at things with a whole new kind of power unit. We know that Alpine came with a completely different power unit to the to the car. So do you think maybe Mercedes have how can I put this? Been a bit conservative when it comes to that. I reckon they've just been caught napping on on the power unit at least. Mm. Um but I think overall Mercedes have just got it wrong. Yeah. I think there's many things that they need to do to get that car anywhere near where the Red Bull and the Ferraris are. Um, especially from what we've seen at Bahrain, they, they didn't have the straight line speed at all. Um, they're struggling. They're probably the worst car. I mean, even if <laughs> after the first four races, porpoising-wise, they're probably the worst car. Mm-mm. You know, Ferrari porpoise, but they get it under control. Mercedes, put it this way, it was the worst boat in a boat race <laughs> uh, when we, we talk later on about the races. It's, yeah, it's... I wouldn't want to drive that car. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, we'll say for Imola, George Russell being complaining with a lot of the, you know, back and chest pain, trying to train for it, but impossible when you drivers are not used to that vertical load of the car going completely like that for a while so we'll come on to that uh, in the latest part of this episode okay let's move on to Jeddah okay we come to Saudi Arabia not too long actually after the last well the penultimate grand one of the one of the penultimate yeah, grand prix last season days between being there in 2021 for a battle for the world championship to the start of the world championship this year 
Um, a few adjustments made, uh, sort of finishing touches where uh, they weren't 100% done, but were enough for the Grand Prix to go ahead last year. Very much completed. The circuit looked a lot better mm. um, this well, we, year. We were speaking to Carson Tilker, were we, in one of our pre-season episodes about circuit design. Tilker, of course, being very, very pivotal in F1 for all these new circuits in the last two decades since Malaysia and have put their hand to Jeddah of course talking about opening and widening up the corners in Jeddah they seem to do that helps quite a lot um, so there were some great changes there um, politically though people very worried about of course the drivers and the teams and the Grand Prix being there there was a, a rocket attack from some some rebels in the area that kind of put a lot of safety concerns out there uh, the drivers were very up against racing and continuing. I think they were in a meeting for like four hours or something ridiculous, but everything went ahead and we had a race. But very bizarre. I don't recall the last time there's, had, there's been that kind of thing. Of course, we know that Formula 1 is very high profile, uh, but I don't ever remember that happening. That was strange. Oh, it's... In a different world we're living in right now, of course, as we know. Yeah, it's been a very confusing time uh, politically. I mean, we're not going to go into all of that, but you know, F1 made the decision after talking to the drivers, reassuring the safety of everybody at the track. They went ahead and thankfully everything went okay. Uh, there was no further disruption to the weekend until you get into the actual racing and qualifying itself. Uh, <laughs> Q1, let's start in Q1. Uh, Nicholas Latifi, he crashed and... Um, yeah, he, he brought out a red flag, uh, one of many in the yep. fire session, and he was going to be at the back of the grid with Yuki Sonoda, who, you know, after getting points in Bahrain, mm. another reliability issue for Alpha Tauri, but this time for Sonoda, so he was going to be at the back of the grid as well. So that means in two races, Red Bull had all the cars having issues. Yeah, which was very worrying for people to see. But then we come on to... I think quite possibly the biggest qualifying shock we've had in a long time, considering this is the seven-time world champion. And the, and, the, and the guy that's been on pole position for over 100 races, out in Q1 on pure pace. Yeah, absolutely. It was totally legit, wasn't it? Went for many runs, gave it his best, P16. Just didn't have it, you know. And the last time that happened was Brazil 2017. I'm pretty sure that was... Mixable conditions, I think. I yeah, the weather was at play, but yeah. this totally wasn't first, weather at play. First time, oh, probably 2013, maybe. Mm. I, don't, I don't think he's been out on pure pace since then. Um, yeah, a complete and utter shock um, for Lewis Hamilton. George Russell ended up, you know, doing doing the bits for the team, and you know, he, he's showing the team why they brought him in. You mm. know, last year it was Mercedes or Renault Clio Cup. This year <laughs> he, he is very much Mercedes. Yeah. Um, but obviously the biggest story within qualifying was Mick Schumacher he had an absolutely horrific crash yeah, 170 mile not nice hour. to see uh, you know it went on for three corners in the end um, it, it took about half an hour to 45 minutes just to even get the track safe enough mm. and obviously him off off the track and going to the medical facilities um, to, to make it safe he uh, ended up not taking part in the Grand Prix just as safety precautions. He he was luckily okay. Didn't have any in, in, injuries or nothing internal either. Um, but that was the biggest talking point in qualifying. You know, it, it was probably bigger than what, what happened with Lewis Hamilton. But, yeah. But some good news at the end of what was a very long qualifying session. Sergio Perez became the first ever Mexican to get pole position, his first pole in 215 race starts, which is a new F1 record, uh, which he also had between getting his first win mm. and his first start. So two records, probably he's glad to get off his his chest. Leclerc ended up getting second with Sainz in the top three. Verstappen only able to qualify in fourth. We had then Ocon in the Alpine. You know, they they, they came back there yeah. pace fifth. George Russell showing Lewis Hamilton how it's done. <laughs> Ten places higher in the standings in sixth. Awkward. Alonso, seventh double world champion, showing why he's back in Formula One. Bottas keeping that run of staying in Q3. You know, he's doing tremendous bits in that car. Gasly in ninth. And then the man that was on fire in Bahrain, not literally, because <laughs> that was the guy in ninth. But Kevin Magnussen in 10th. 
doing absolute bits to that Haas and, you know, ended up being the only Haas in the race, doing it for the team and, you know, he, he did it very well. But after qualifying, we mm-hmm. had a day to recover from everything that happened. And after what was a very long and hard-fought race, Max Verstappen, coming from fourth, ends up winning the Grand Prix. And very much like Abu Dhabi, he has a certain person to thank for bringing the safety car out, <laughs> which also ruined his teammate's race. Correct. Nicholas Satifi, the, the saviour of Red Bull. I hope he's getting some kind of like down payment on the side Helmut Marko just like pretty sure Christian Horner said that he's going to get a lifetime supply of Red Bull <laughs> yeah I did I did hear that but the thing that fascinated me most about Jeddah and the race was that tactical tactics and, and the strategic thinking about the DRS activation is basically what won Verstappen the race over Leclerc coming into the final corner I think at one point I think it was Verstappen and Leclerc both locked up trying to get into the DRS zone and, and then one of them not trying to keep it and it was just a battle of the brains more than anything in general. but then if we look again at 2021 Hamilton and Verstappen both tried to do the same thing and mm. ended up having a collision. Yeah. So, you know, I think the FIA have recently had a look at where they're going to place DRS detection points. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to now put it a little bit earlier in the lap so there's yes. no point, you know, breaking right at the end. <laughs> yeah. like you, you need to keep the pace up. At the braking zone, uh, yeah. Just because it's, it's more of a safety issue. Like, I mean, we saw it last year that they collided. I mean, if they're doing 180 and then coming to a standstill just to get yeah. DRS, it, it could be a big, big hazard. It's very, if someone does it wrong, mm. it could end up quite big and nasty, especially at what a high speed track Jeddah is and what he's known for. Yeah, and full throttle for a lot of that race. Uh, and then we had the Mercedes, which, again, didn't really progress too much. Uh, but Lewis managing to get at least one point for all of his efforts even though he wasn't quite sure if he did get a point yeah. in that race <laughs> yeah, that interesting radio uh, between him and Bono do I even get a point for this position <laughs> it's been such a long time since Lewis was down in P10 um, but yes Lewis you did get a point for that race um, but George you know after starting sixth finishing fifth he, he, he's he's sort of understanding the car a little bit better mm. than Lewis Hamilton and I don't know whether that's just because George has been in with a lower team so he's, he's sort of used to struggling I, I don't know whether that helps whereas Lewis has been in a top team for I was going to say time. Well, let, well let's touch on those differences George Russell's been very humble in the press and the media and saying of course he doesn't want to tread on a seven time world champion's toes we've obviously know that and it's very as I said graceful of him to do that however of course he wants to be proving himself he wants to show that he deserves a place he's done that this season so far probably didn't want to rub it in Lewis's face as much as this but what is it particularly in your mind that you were touching on there maybe he's been because he's been in the lower team more recently what is it in your mind that's giving Russell the edge at the moment because a little bit of has has been a little bit of luck but also has been pretty much on merit as well and possibly the way he's he's driving the car sure it's, it's 100% down on merit like George is driving the socks off that car mm. uh, I'm pretty sure if he could he'd drive the wheels off it as well <laughs> um, but I don't know whether Lewis is, is still got the back of last season in his mind he probably doesn't he's a seven time champion he's had disappointments before in mm. Formula 1 but you know he, he doesn't seem to he, he seems to be struggling this season you know, we saw him, he got third and he was battling for for the points with yeah. Perez. But, you know, Jeddah, he just didn't have the pace. He, he very much lacked pace in qualifying. He's, say, out in Q1 and it didn't really get much better. He he went very long on the, I believe, hard or medium yeah. tyres mm-hmm. and then ended up having to pit right at the end. So it caught, kind of all came to nothing. But, you know seeing a seven time champion really struggle it just puts you in your mind like it's tough it's very tough and you know Fernando Alonso very recently even saying you know Lewis knows how to drive a car it, yeah. it, it, this is Formula 1 this is what happens yeah. you know if a team gets it wrong the, the drivers that you know they've, they've got to work it out why to try and make up some of that gap exactly. and I guess George Russell kind of got nothing to lose in a way 
he, he's he's proved himself in a team that struggled. Yeah. He did that for three seasons, you know, constantly outperforming in qualifying, outperforming in the race. I mean, last year he got second place, albeit didn't in qualifying. Race. Yeah. But he did it in a in a team that was very much underperforming. Yeah. You know, and, and Mercedes it's very much going to be like that. It's a team that is very much underperforming compared to what we used to. And George is a driver that is very good at underperforming or performing over what the car is doing. And Lewis Hamilton, though, be very clear, has come out in the last few days on Instagram, social media posts saying, I'll decide when I'm done. A lot of people saying he should have retired last year on a high. But you can't count him out. No, you can't count him out. He is a seven-time champion. He knows how to drive the car. We've we've seen Fernando Alonso, Christian Horner, all backing Lewis Hamilton that he will get better throughout the season. It's just it will just take some time. The, mm. the car is not at a position where it can fight constantly for them podiums. George absolutely is driving the wheels off that car right mm. now, and he needs to be praised for what he is doing. I'm sure Toto is doing it, but you know, we're obviously going to look at. Imola a bit later but we saw almost hands in heads from Mercedes yeah and they're even apologising for you know what seems to be some errors <laughs> that they've made this year with in regards to the car design you know and that, that, that's not Lewis's fault that he, he doesn't have any control over who designs the car or how the car's supposed to be I mean in reality only a very small amount of people knew what these cars are about yeah Adrian Newey having been hmm. on when the last time we had ground effect cars yeah. he knew more than anybody so in in terms of that I think once Red Bull really not been having a lot of the porpoising either no they, they're not and it shows it does and you know when, when they do finish race they finish a race well but in, in regards to Mercedes I think give it half a, half a season and by the time the upgrades come we might start seeing them at least challenge for the odd podium. It won't be a race win straight away. Mm. We might not see them win a race this no. year. We might. It'll be, a, it'll be a surprise. Yeah. But for now, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're very much looking to try and just get progressions. Yeah. And I think the main thing to point out, though, is when teams have, and, and people have been talking about this whole porpoising issue, it is kind of the the curse this year of the cars that's kind of wasn't expected wasn't in the wind tunnels or the predictions or anything like that and they got to the track uh, out into the pre-season test at Spain and people were like okay what's going on uh, so they wasn't seeing the simulations McLaren though don't seem to have had it hardly at all and the big point that I'm going to come on to and raise here is that McLaren haven't had it at all, but they don't understand why. And that, as people have been saying, is as dangerous as having it and also not understanding because it could come to maybe some other circuits and then it, it, it won't happen. But I think if we, we go back to when we were speaking with Ryan, the way that the, uh, the, the push-pull rods and that, yeah. I think they have a different system to Mercedes. I think one of them's a, a push system, the other yeah. one's a pull. Potentially something as simple as that could be... Mm. Fix the whole balance of the car. Because I'm pretty sure McLaren followed Red Bull in the pool system. Yes, that's, yeah. And Red Bull aren't offering. It's a fair assessment. Maybe. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure if it was all down to suspension, they might change it. But then, as you were also saying there about upgrades and Mercedes as they go through the season, a lot harder for teams to just. Switch, yes. flick a switch this season and for it to be alright the next race with the cost cap and exactly. all the new regulations especially with the amount of accidents that cars have having <laughs> they've got to spend more on uh, insurance claims than anything else oh absolutely uh, so yeah of course we t- talk a little bit there about Mercedes but you know they've been a massive part of our sport for for so long for the last eight years yeah. and and leading it and con, con, eight consecutive constructor titles doesn't come for nothing um, right so but let's finish off talking about Jeddah with mm. uh, you know some positive Kevin Magnussen sole r- remaining Haas after Mick Schumacher not taking part double points finish for, for him after scoring in Bahrain as well yeah which is I mean you know it's kind of like Kevin Magnussen's just one of those guys like Daniel Ricciardo that you just can't help but not love like there's something about him it's just a very likeable character and you want to get on board with him uh, and even though him and Grosjean had had their moments you know uh, K-Mag just 
really you can just tell he just really wants to do well he's got the raw talent speed he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's just got a great character I don't feel like it's an unfair assessment to say that when he said goodbye to Formula 1 I don't think too many people were disappointed to see him leave no but I don't I feel the same in the sense of when he was announced coming back I don't think anybody was too disappointed to see him return. I think no. a lot of people were quite happy to see him back. It's like unfinished business. Yeah, and he 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 definitely looks a lot more refreshed. And yeah. he's a lot more laid back. He's a lot more chilled out. And, you know, he was saying in, in the press this week, the, the pressure of not needing to be the world champion, mm. that has taken a lot of weight off his shoulder and he's able to enjoy it. You know, and he's, he's in a position where he's, he's a senior driver in the team now. Yeah. You know, and he's now teaching Mick Schumacher. He's outperforming Mick. Don't get me wrong, but does have more experience. Maybe yeah. you know that role is something that will help mm. Kevin race. And obviously, he's been away. He's he's done some Indy. Uh, did he do IndyCar? He did. I know he did some World Endurance. Yes, yeah. but I feel like he potentially did a little bit of IndyCar. Probably not, but even still, he he went away, came back, and he he looked stronger for it. Yeah, uh, and. As you were saying, people were sad to see him, sad, sad to see him go. weren't disappointed, but it's kind of like that thing when you have someone back, you kind of then realise in hindsight maybe he should have never gone. Uh, and you know, the driver that he's replaced though, Mazepin, will also want to probably come back at some point. That's a bit more complicated, but the, the, the nail in the coffin for Mazepin is his 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 dad's company invested in the team. Yeah, and then had a year of struggles gets booted out of the team due to ongoing political issues mm. and then new driver comes in and they're doing everything right yeah and as we've seen drive survive it was all down to the team apparently so that's all we'll say on that matter uh, and that my friends rounds up Jeddah let's move on to Australia so into Australia first time since well we were there in 2020 we were there for about not physically we weren't we weren't there <laughs> they'd they landed they were ready they were about an hour away from the first practice session before COVID we were very excited I, I was up at one o'clock in the morning to, to <laughs> watch the the non-practice session um, I ended up getting a very nice sleep <laughs> a few um, changes to the track before we go into yes. the action we've had the uh, turn six and seven Basically, the middle the chicane is completely and utterly changed to yeah. a fast-flowing section, um, and then obviously it, it, at the end of the se- uh, sector, they uh, they've sort of widened and narrowed and basically tried to make it a little bit quicker. Um, from from what I was expecting, I was expecting it to be a lot quicker. Than Radically it is. different, yeah. Uh, I think it was supposed to be something along the lines of about fifty-eight seconds. It was, it was supposed to be, and we were supposed to have like seventy odd laps from what I, I read a couple of seasons ago when they announced. Didn't turn out the way, though. No, we still had the 58 laps. Lap times was about the same, really. Um, but that's because of the cars, of course. New formula, yeah. not as quick. But yeah, all kind of zeroed but, out. You know, even though we've got this whole new formula, we, we ended the last race with a high for Red Bull where they got brought back down to reality. <laughs> again, Max, uh, a second place on the cards again, like in Bahrain. And his engine goes kaput. And that's, you know, two races now. He's missed out on effectively 36 points, mm. which, you know, in the grand scheme of things... That's a lot. I mean, if you think about last big, season... bigger than what the league was last season. Yeah. Um, and what, what was even worse for him is Charles Leclerc dominated this Grand Prix. Absolutely dominated it. He would know it to be seen. He was polled by a good chunk of time. Mm. I think it, it might have been somewhere along the lines of eight temps. Yeah. And he led every lap. He was in utter control. It was the first Grand Slam since 2010 for a uh, Ferrari driver as well. That is how long Ferrari haven't had that sort of kind of success which they've got at the minute. Quite incredible when you think about it uh, for a team, of course, of their dominance. Just shows how actually, though, how much work they've put in yeah. to get back to that. Um, but it wasn't all good for the Ferrari-backed cars. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, he had 103 races qualified in Q3 session but for the first time since 
joining Mercedes back in Australia 2017, he got knocked out in Q2. Only just, but it ended his Q3 dominance. It counted. And um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but... But, but to be fair, many people are not discrediting Bottas at all, but oh, for him going... In Bahrain. going Yeah, exactly. Going from Mercedes to Alfa Romeo, people are like, well, you know, that's the end of that then. But, uh, you know, great that he got that even further than he did. Yeah, absolutely. And so when he came to the actual race, Bottas, he ended up getting points again. He's, he's, he's just doing bits for that team at the minute. Um, wonder if Kimi Raikkonen's missing potentially getting points with with a team like well I have seen Kimi actually I don't think he is because I've seen Kimi focusing oh, on, he, on his on his daughter's yeah, career he's, now he's enjoying and away, I think. his daughter's uh, taking up karting so uh, I think he's enjoying that family life and I think you know Honest first Formula 1 driver in a long time first Finnish female driver you never know uh, you know he's been very candid and honest about wanting that, you know why he's wanting to leave F1 and you can see it all for all for, all for us to see. It's, it's nice, nice to see that. Absolutely. And whilst Ferrari did celebrate a Grand Slam, for their second driver, Carlos Sainz, it was a bit of a disappointing weekend. He had a crashing qualifying, mm. started on hard tyres, and it was not the way to go, and ended up going across the chicane and then into the barrier. And um, at that, um, what, the most difficult one of the most difficult corners I think in F1 but yeah. especially the track the very fast left right chicane uh, going into the up to the third sector uh, and you, you dip a tire onto that little curb on the outside you know when we're playing the F1 game it happens in there real life it's bad to well, get on the grass basically straight line to the yeah. chicane and then yeah just it, it was just a bad bad combo I mean I think in hindsight Ferrari probably regretted putting him on the hard tyres um especially after what Mercedes had went through at Bahrain. Yeah. But, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't... Ferrari still got great points with, with Leclerc. I mean, like I say, we, he absolutely dominated the weekend. Um, and then George Russell, talking about this guy again. You know, <laughs> for, good, for good reason. For, for a very good reason. He's got his first podium with Mercedes. Still yet to get a win, but again, like we were saying... Don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Which again, though, came out of nowhere. Again, also though, had the good fortune of Max DNFing. Yeah, it was it was down to reliability from Red Bull yet again. Why Mercedes getting a podium, but a P3 nonetheless. Uh, had the safety car, uh, I think, due to Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. Uh, pulling off. to the side of the track. Um, so it, he 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 got a cheap pit stop, which allowed him to overtake Lewis Hamilton, who at the time was fighting with Perez for third. Yeah. Um, and uh, George ended up coming out ahead of him and Perez uh, and, and then yeah he managed to hold on ahead of Lewis I think the team even saying at the end just hold position get the points yeah I mean that's a smart way of looking at it and at this point we were thinking okay so Mercedes had a bad couple of first races but they're there they're there they were it's, still second in the constructors you know, yeah it's third and fourth uh, you know Imola which we'll come on to next kind of put that there but that's what we were thinking at the time of Australia but but the important thing for Red Bull is Perez was there and he did get points yeah. which know. he hasn't been in previous seasons right and you know this is why you know we talk about the curse of the second Red Bull seat mm. Gasly Albon it's, it's never worked out for Red Bull until Perez Perez has come on strong and yeah he's got the second place he's got the points for Red Bull and you know even though there's a big gap between Ferrari and Red Bull especially after Bahrain it got them back into, you know, they yeah. got a chance. And we were we were worried about McLaren, but they showed they showed us that oh, we shouldn't be. <laughs> no, but after the first two disappointing races for McLaren, home favourite in Ricardo, you know, even Lando is very much loved out in. Uh, <laughs> He's loved everywhere, I think. He is. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they ended up being very much in the position they were fighting with Mercedes legitimately as well and came home fifth and sixth with Lando heading uh, Danny Ricciardo it was yeah a, a great return and great points for, uh, for McLaren which they desperately needed you know two disappointing races um, but yeah they, they're, they're finally there and they, they look out of the Mercedes powered teams they look the team that have got a hold of their issues the quickest yeah I think they had what, the most mild porpoising at testing, but other than that, but I mean, for them it was reliability. I mean, yeah. Ricardo he got COVID in the Bahrain test, so Lando was doing all the testing. Yeah, and then they had brake issues in Bahrain. They had more issues when it came to uh, 
uh, Jeddah. Mm-hmm. Australia, the first time they really had any kind of grip yeah. on a race, and they they were there. As we've been predicting, though, in the pre-season, it, it, it's going to be whoever gets on top of this porpoising. It might possibly be the story of the first half of the season. Hopefully not longer than that, because it is becoming a bit of a safety thing now for it, drivers. It is, and I think you're going to see drivers potentially get injured, especially you know, we're talking about George Russell getting a lot of chest and back issues. Mm. I mean, we've seen like the Ferrari drivers, their head bobbing up and down with uh, when we've got on board with them. So we could potentially see fatigue get becoming an issue. We might see drivers retiring just in pain. Yeah, you know, and that's something we probably never thought of having. I mean, the, I can the last physical retirement I can remember is Mark Webber being sick at Istanbul in his Red Bull. I can't remember another race during a race of drivers doing that so you know obviously hopefully we don't get that but yeah it, you, you're bright absolutely a possibility but I mean one thing to touch on with Australian Grand Prix you could tell the fans out there wanted it and they were glad that it was back because I mean, it's they, the largest they, attendance they've ever Formula had Formula 1 in 2020 like they wanted Formula 1 to go ahead hmm. Formula 1 said no it's not safe Covid prohibited it we were going to come back for 2021 never happened again due to uh, all, all the regulations that Australia had yeah um, but for 2022, that we we had it, we were there, we've been there, and it, it was a great atmosphere. I mean, the fans, they were phenomenal. I mean, they were even coming onto the track on lap 57 when Alex Albon was coming in for his pit stop. That that's how excited yeah. they were. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, staying on with Alex Albon, first points for Williams this season, and yeah. what a drive! 57 laps on a set of on one set tires. of hard tires. And then one lap on softs at the end, and, and he got and he got points. <laughs> and people argued that uh, he should have just for, forgoed the, the you know the the one tire rule, uh, and he should have, should have just not pitted and taken the penalty. Well, uh, disqualification. Yeah. Is it does it amount to disqualification? Yeah. I thought that there was only like a five ten second well, time penalty. Disqualification if you don't okay. do two tire rules. That's fair enough. Lando was asking that question. He was like, "Well, why don't you just carry on?" Uh, well, you've just answered it, so yeah. fair enough. Uh, okay. Moving on to our final race in this episode of Round the Outside. Jake and Chris here with you. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, let's get into Imola, our most recent Grand Prix here on Around the Outside. Well, we were seeing at the start of Imola uh, a, a, a treacherous conditions, first mixable, mi- mixable conditions, mixed weather uh, in in the first few races. Uh, the Formula 3 race and the qualifying, very sketchy. A lot of drivers really struggling going off. First time for Formula 3 and Formula 2 to be in Imola as well, so that was a, a new foray for them. Uh, but for Formula 1, of course, the race there, the uh, previous couple of seasons with all the changes in COVID. And, and I'm really glad we're back at Imola, actually. A legendary track that's of course had a lot of very sad history but obviously well, yeah, lots mean, of great racing as well I mean at the time of recording it's, it's the anniversary of Roland Ratzenberger's death mm. uh, obviously again the time of recording tomorrow for us uh, being the 1st of May is obviously Edson Senna mm. uh, both back in 1994 hard to think that's what the 30 years ago now mm. really you know we're that close for that kind of tw- we're 28 years now and you know, it's it's still very much on everybody's minds every time. Either we go to Imola, which we have done for the past three seasons, or this time of year, we it's one of them things. And I like that F one never forget Roland Ratzenberger, even though obviously the big name that weekend was mm. Ayrton Senna. No, absolutely, uh, always a track that will be iconic on. You know, both those ends of the spectrum, really. Uh, but again, it's just a a great track, a great classic track that I think F1 lost a bit of touch with in you know in the previous few years when they were going in this new direction yes we're having these new circuits we're going to lots of these new circuits but I think in the last year or two they've actually woken up to okay because of COVID it's kind of forced us to go back to these tracks that we traditionally wanted to go to and I think we've got a good mix now I think it's good where we are obviously heading to Miami next 
which I think is going to be a great race uh, for America to have another race on that continent it's going to be uh, really cool uh, but again come back to Imola uh, for the most recent race we had the weather a bit mixed cool conditions whether we would get yeah, going over the racing into the weekend I think we started the race on intermediate tyres right? yeah we started on inters obviously before that we had the sprint race because it was the first sprint weekend as well of course who could forget yeah you know, and you know it was very mixed we had qualifying which was wet we had dry sprint we had a wet and dry race you know we got a bit of everything you know, different teams did you know better over some parts than others not so much yeah and talking for Max Verstappen uh, he sent it when it was needed uh, over a scrappy qualifying session stopped at least four times because uh, of crashes and red flags uh, and the weather really difficult to, to catch up with it was his first pole though and first pole awarded on a Friday for the sprint race event on a Saturday uh, again I think we were talking about the top speed of the Red Bull before I think that had a lot to do with it, uh, particularly around that track, especially the the home straight. Uh, um, but again, Red Bull seemed to have this perfect balance with the the their suspension and how they've gone towards that. And Adrian Newey, like you were saying before, really understanding the aerodynamics of these cars with that top speed. But the downforce needed for him as well. Very narrow circuit, very tight and twisty in a lot of places and uh, very tricky corners uh, and chicanes, uh, especially as you come into that very sort of awkward down into just before the end of sector two, uh, coming down into that right turn and, and going up the hill uh, into the third sector. So Red Bull very much on top in that case um, across across the weekend. And we were talking about Lewis Hamilton and the big shock in Jeddah getting P16 and get, not getting out of, uh, of Q1. But for this time in Imola, Mercedes out of Q3 for, for both the drivers, George and Lewis in P11, P14, kind of really sort of stuck the knife in a little bit more didn't it with what they've got going on right now it, it just shows the trouble that the, that the team have they they, Lewis and George both you know British drivers used to wet weather and they're struggling mm. they're struggling big time and you know it, it showed in the race as well yeah and then we come on to McLaren though again had saying looking strong at Albert Park uh, and the, the the troubles surrounding the team in the Middle East have been sorted Chris and there's been a bit of sort of rumours and news going on around that yeah I mean McLaren looked at the minute like the team on the up uh, they you know had a fantastic weekend they got uh, both drivers in, in decent points paying positions in the sprint and then when it came to the actual race I mean lap one a bit unfortunate in between uh, Ricardo and Sainz Sainz again getting caught up yeah. it's so sad to see um, and obviously Ricardo, that kind of killed Ricardo's race but Lando Norris podium for Lando back to back podiums at Imola the first time he's had a podium at the same track twice and you know I don't know if you saw the celebrations by the McLaren team uh, they were going crazy yeah and they were were singing for him right absolutely great it was like being back at uh, World Cup in 2018 (laughs) all all the songs just sort of reminded me of that Uh, but you know Lando very much a, a much loved driver and uh, I think, you know, it was probably the greatest podium in terms of happiness I think you were going to see. unless oh, you were, cute. Uh, un- unless you were one of the <laughs> Tifosi expecting to see a Ferrari. Well, there. quite. Yeah, they kind of ruined their party a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, it, it didn't go well. I mean, Leclerc in the sprint, he, he was leading for all but one lap of it, which happened to be the final lap. Um, and obviously, Max is starting on pole for the actual race. And obviously, by the time we get to turn one, we're already a Ferrari down with the incident between Ricardo and Science. Um, but for Leclerc, it never really got going. He slipped down from uh, second behind Perez, which was great for Red Bull, behind Lando Norris as well. And yeah, he eventually got past Lando, but you know he struggled against Perez. He really struggled in, in the changeable conditions. He, he pitted earlier to get the undercut. It worked out. But Perez still got ahead, and uh, yeah, when when push comes to shove, pitted for an extra set of tyres just to definitely make sure he get across the line. Uh, he uh, he made a boo boo. He, uh, he got <laughs> spun. He did very well not to hit the wall, but yeah. he oh well, he did hit the wall. He lost his front wing, but mm. not enough to 
absolutely ruin his race and get no points. The tyre of the car. He, uh, he had to go back into the pits again uh, uh, for another set of soft tyres and, you know, was down in P9 when he was running third. Managed to get back up to P6, though. Considering all things, it was quite a good recovery. It's a good recovery, but not a race that the Tafosi would want to have seen or had anticipated leading into the championship fight uh, for the first time in Italy this season. Hopefully, you know, we've got Monza coming up. It should be a little bit better for, for the Tafosi. Uh, but, you know, again, it's one of them we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, it, it makes it a bit tighter especially in the constructors two Red Bulls one two a Grand Slam for Max and uh, I think the important thing there is it's the first time we've had two drivers get back to back Grand Slams Mm. Mm. but for the first time ever in Formula 1 it was two constructors yeah two different uh, drivers and and teams absolutely yeah that's, that's the first time in Formula 1 history that's ever happened you know so this whole new band of formula shows that we've got close racing but you know one t- team could have an absolutely right one weekend and then the next weekend another team could have absolutely bang on but again you know still not as good though as 2012 where we had seven different winners in the first seven races it's still not living up to that Miami Mercedes might get a we never know they could finally <laughs> flick that switch and it's all yeah, changed I don't think that's going to happen it'll probably more likely be a Haas uh, than, than a Mercedes but you never know but obviously the, the biggest thing in that race was a lack of DRS we had yeah. a, a wet race but it was drying and in previous years we've had DRS with drying conditions but it took them about 47 laps before they finally flicked the switch by which time yeah, a lot of people were raising questions about that because normally as soon as people will switch dry to dry tyres, yeah. that's when it changes. But no, nothing of the sort. And it, the, the racing just kind of died. Yeah. And when, the, when the DRS was switched on, everyone was stuck in a it, it didn't DRS anything. train. Yeah, it, it didn't do anything. I mean, we saw Lewis Hamilton, literally, Nico Rosberg's probably said it 25 times <laughs> behind Pierre Gasly. And every time he just wasn't able to do it because Gasly had the DRS on Albon. And Albon had the pace mm. you know he, he was just able to keep it there with his Mercedes engine and yeah it, it was just a stalemate all the way through and it was the same for you know George Russell mm. able to defend against Bottas he he, he saved enough of his um, errors and Bottas couldn't get through and Nico Rosberg talking to Nico Rosberg whilst we're on it he had so much shade for Hamilton over the weekend uh I, I don't know why Rosberg does it. Maybe maybe this is what he's paid to do. I mean, but it's, it's the first time in, what, seven years he's probably been able to. Yeah, but it's just like, you know, oh, let me rub it in that Lewis is having a bad weekend and let me just keep pushing that boat home throughout the commentary. And Sky, Sky who were doing a commentary, uh, had him on to analyse like every moment that he was commentating from home. Just Slayton Lewis saying, well, look, it's not all down to the car. George managed to get it up where he did, um, which in P5 compared to uh, Hamilton, which I believe he was down in, in, in P13. So it was... Yeah, again, twisting the knife in the back. But uh, yeah, Hamilton coming out on Instagram this week, defying and saying, I'm going to decide when I'm done. And final point on Mercedes, and, and then we're going to actually stop talking about it. Yeah, okay, fair. For this we can't help right. it though, right? Um, would you say this result in Imola now puts George in a position of being the lead driver out of the two? Toto, obviously, at the end of the race, gets on the radio apologising to Lewis. But with the performance George has been showing, the consistency, he's, he's the only one to be in the top five at every single Grand Prix mm, this year. Yeah. Do, does, do Mercedes start playing the first driver role now to George or is it too early in the season? It's, it's the longest season on the calendar. 23 uh, races, 23 yeah. races, which we've never had in Formula 1. We've, we've, had, we've attempted it, but we've never actually got it. I don't think we've had heard that answer. I don't think we've had that question answered yet or even asked because it's such an audacious question to suggest it that. It is, but... But from my point of view, given the standpoint of, obviously, his stature in the team and everything, no, absolutely not. I can't... I, no, I can't get on board with that. But if you're looking purely on results, you have a point. But, I, no, I can't I can't see that. You know, he still did get P, P4 in Australia. He did. So, you know. But George also got P3. Yeah. He's, he's doing a good in, job. In, in four races we've had, 
Lewis has been ahead in once. Yeah. And that was the first race. Do you reckon there'll be a point where George stops being humble then about all of these results? Because he obviously is playing a team game I, at the moment and trying to push the team I, I forward. Think George is very humble. He was always humble at Williams. It's very mature. I mean, if you if you look back to when Latifi was ahead of him in Hungary, yeah. he was like, get him. Let's do it for the team. Do it for the team. Yeah. George has got that humble side. I don't think he'll stop being humble. I think there may be a side where he starts becoming, he needs to think more for himself. But I still feel he will always have respect for Lewis. Mm. I mean, we saw it at the end of the season. He had respect to Lewis. He, Even when he was a kid. Exactly. In that famous photo. Exactly. So for him, I, I, I feel like he'll want to push himself as well mm. as Lewis. And he'll probably want Lewis to be up there with him. He, mm. he doesn't want to be a one-man team. No. But it's going to be an interesting point for the rest of the seasons. Oh, absolutely. So... Judging by the first four races, to conclude this little race review we've been doing in the last hour or so of the podcast, how do you judge 2022 so far? Um, in so in so many words, chaotic, crazy, and more please. <laughs> you definitely want more. You like what you're seeing. It's certain degrees. I think... Some of the racing in certain races have been really good. I think some of the racing in certain races has been meh. But <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot more different tracks coming up. We've got, say, Miami coming up next. Yeah. It's going to be hopefully exciting. Um, and then obviously we're, we're back to where we should be at Spain. And then we've got a few more classic tracks coming up before the, the summer as well. So yeah, I think th- this is the point of the season where the drivers know the circuits they should be getting grips with the cars and the shit Mercedes and then yeah it should be go time and say it's almost like Nico Rosberg's in the room but by, by the time the summer break comes hopefully we'll have an idea as, as to where we're going you know it should make it a little bit hopefully easier to sort of know or make guesses as to who's gonna outshine who at what circuit it's still very up in the air I feel the way things are going at the minute with the tracks like Monza I feel mm. are more Red Bull suited than say Ferrari which you would never have thought in previous years no. <laughs> but uh, yeah I think title protagonists Verstappen Leclerc that's what else we're going to have this season it's going to be so exciting to see and these new tracks coming in Miami anything can happen we didn't know that uh, okay that's all the races reviewed before we leave you a quick literally a quick round up of all the news and goss Signs contract extended to 2024, staying his intentions for another year. Ferrari wanted to hold on to him, even though not a great start with these races. Uh, we've got Christian Horner believing that Lewis will win this season eventually. And I personally think he will if Mercedes get that key to the key to the secret and, and get on top of unlocking that performance, which I think they believe and know is there. Uh, Kevin Magnussen feels more free without that pressure uh, to go on to keep informing for Haas. He said that uh, in the press and come out a lot. Um, and I'm sure we're given Haas if they can strive forward and they've got the most wind tunnel time, could see some more performance there. Uh, and Perez... This is the most striking point, I think, out of all the news and gossiping. You quickly jump on on this, Chris. Perez says he could retire if Grand Prix, more Grand Prix were added to the calendar. As we were saying, there's 23 races already. Yeah. I get his point, but the point he was making was that the physical side of it in travelling to all these different places. And the schedule at the start of the season has been pretty mad. We've gone from Bahrain then to Saudi Arabia and then uh, Australia so bad, but going to and Australia then going from Stanford Australia to, to then fly to Europe to Europe to then fly to America it's to been, then fly back to Europe it's going to be it's, a lot yeah it's, it's going to do no one any good really um, I think you know a lot of the drivers have young families as well mm. you know and, and even the team personnel they, they, they probably don't want to be flying halfway across the world when you know they could spend like a few days at home with the family mm. it's you know it's a big commercial thing Formula 1 but you know the only time they're really ever at home is for a couple of weeks during winter and then the three weeks a little bit in the summer yeah so it's very demanding but they also get paid a lot of money to to, to put on the show it's a sacrifice right Uh, I mean (laughs) yes please sign me up Um, and then final bit of kind of news and gossip we talked a lot about Russell in this episode we're big fans always have been 
he's talked about sprint races though F1 teams agreeing to these doubling of sprint races to have six across the next season in 2023 already talking about that after one this season it was an alright sprint race wasn't it Nimula it wasn't as great as some of them before no, I think what do you think about do you do you agree with George Russell that he doesn't want more even though it's not down to him I, really. I think it's down to really the tracks that they choose I, I wouldn't have personally have picked Imola um, just because mm. there isn't really many overtaking spots I mean Brazil I think that was a fantastic event that's I been mean, the best one and not only for the fact that Lewis came from the back and then ended up winning the race we saw overtaking we saw different moves and it, it provided the best racing Silverstone again it was it was a good race and mm. it, it spiced up the actual Grand Prix itself as well um, I forget whether the other sprint was last season's because uh, it was Silverstone Monza. Monza Monza of course yeah Monza um, again it, it it didn't really do too much so I think it is very much track dependent mm. as to where they do it but not only that they're, they're using up parts that you know they've got to use for 23 races it's going to take a lot and I don't I think there's got to be some leeway I know they're giving out certain bits of budget for the team yeah. to come up higher and not but yeah it's it's I mean, if you look at it, you've got 23 races plus an extra six sprints. That's 29 races a year. That's that's a lot to put through drivers as well as mm. teams as well. It's, and all the forgetting the mechanics yeah. who are already having a hard time lifting the heavier tyres this year in pit stops. So there's lots to think about. Sounds like they need to get some protein. <laughs> get on that. Um, they're already training loads as it is. Well, I must say, it's been quite a pleasure to do this face-to-face for the very first time. It's been nice. It's been a uh, yeah beh- behind the scenes. It's, it's taken a while to get to this stage. Yeah, it's taken admittedly, us, what, basically two years. Yeah, well, yeah. I say two years. It's, it's two years in terms of twenty twenty one and then twenty twenty two. But mm. it's been a year basically. But yeah, I know what I meant. I'm enjoying the season so far, even amongst kind of life being a bit crazy, like recording this right now in <laughs> on spare bedrooms in a new flat which has been renovated all the time and still getting on top of it but now Chris you're around the corner from me so this yes. is going to happen some more this is cool hopefully you'll be able to watch a few more races as well absolutely when I'm not working anyway yeah. <laughs> and for people listening to this from where we are all around the world we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Round the Outside we'll be back in a few races time we're loving this season hopefully as much as you are at the moment and uh, we'll catch you very soon thanks very much for listening and take care See you soon.